Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thank you for joining us once again. Yeah, thank you for um, <laughs> for coming back. Um, I wanted to also say a big thanks to both Joanne and also to Matt and Angela who got in touch with us recently. Uh, and I just wanted to say it was great speaking to you guys. We really appreciate it when uh, when anybody messages us and we always try to respond in a timely fashion. Mm. Yeah, and I wanted to give a bit of a shout out to someone called Emma who got in touch saying that one of our episodes had kind of really kind of hit um, sort of a personal note with her. So we've had a little chat and that was nice. So um, yeah, it's always lovely when people get in touch with us and I really enjoy chatting to you guys. It's just great. It's, It's wonderful to be able to kind of have those conversations, isn't it? It is, yeah. If um if you're listening to this and you want to get in touch too, then you can find us on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Yes, and um we definitely had a comment on YouTube that said you were a handsome host, Mark. So there you go. I know, yeah, what what the fuck? I know, what are they on? They should have gone to Specsavers, shouldn't they? I'm joking, you're beautiful. As if. And a massive huge thank you to our new Patreon supporters as well. Um without you guys obviously supporting us financially as well we wouldn't be able to keep going with this show so it's amazing and a massive shout out to wendy sanders flo bingham sandra taylor and scout 1081 i didn't know how to do the numbers 1081 1081 but maybe oh, it's 1081. 1081 why maybe that's their date of birth maybe they were born in 1081 not just just that month in 81 oh yeah um, also, we wanted to say a massive thank you to Charlie Henderson, who very kindly and very generously increased her pledge. So um, thank you so much for that. We really, really appreciate it. If you're listening and you want to support us on Patreon, uh, then you can uh, do that by heading to patreon.com <laughs> slash seeingredpodcast. And um, yeah, just follow the instructions. It takes two minutes, but it, uh, the gift that that gives lasts a lifetime. Um, and you don't have to sign up forever. You can just sign up for a month as a one-off or you can sign up for a bit longer. Completely up to you, however you want to do it. Yeah. So thank you very much if you also decide to sign up. Very much appreciated. And so this week it is Mark's turn to tell us a story. And um, what are you telling us about this month, this week, Mark? This month, stupid. I know. Ugh. This week we head to the Royal County of Berkshire as we tell you about the life and death of PC Harper. If you're listening in the UK, you may be familiar with this case because it has been featured heavily in the media over the past few weeks and months, and we've only just passed the one-year anniversary of Andrew's tragic death. This is a case that is still so raw for so many of us, and I did think long and hard about whether to cover it, but... I've kind of done it for two reasons, really. One, to remember Andrew and the work that he did in protecting his community. And also because I I said this on a comment on Instagram today. I just said, really, this case passed me by, regrettably, because when it happened last August, I, I just had a lot going on at that time. And I remember it happening, but I was always kind of on the periphery of exactly what happened and and keeping up to date with it. So for for my own self really I wanted to dive into it and and really understand what actually did happen last summer to to Andrew. I'm really glad that you are covering this because um for me I know the case and I I knew what had happened and I've got some really fixed ideas about what happened and then with everything that's happened recently with sentencing etc 
it's made me kind of stop and think. So now I'm really interested to hear actually the facts because I think sometimes you hear snippets in media and you can get the wrong end of the stick potentially or potentially I haven't. I don't know. It'd be really, really interesting to know more about this because it was a case that I did follow at the time. Um, But then since then, obviously, life has just kind of, I guess, gotten away with me and I hadn't... Then when it was back in the media again... I was thinking to myself, hang on, did I remember this wrong or had I heard things wrong? So I'm really, really interested to hear what actually happened. Yeah, that that was my exact reasons, I think, for uh, wanting to cover it, along with remembering Andrew, absolutely. And I think as a nation, when a serving police officer is killed in the line of duty, it touches us on quite a deep level. We always tend to sort of grieve together and... Um, I don't know why that is. I just think it's really interesting that it always seems to hit us particularly hard. Um, so I don't know what you think about that, whether you agree. Yeah, I think so. I think it's people who do a job where they purposefully are putting themselves into danger. I'm always just absolutely in awe of. Um, my brother-in-law's a firefighter and it's just, it's incredible that people would go and do a job like that. And I think that's the thing with, with the police is, they know every day that there's the potential for something to happen to them and yet they still go and protect us and serve our communities. So yeah, maybe that's why, because they've chosen to do something that potentially could end like this. It's mm. um, yeah, really um, humbling, I think is the word. I, um, I was in London a couple of weeks ago at St. James's Park uh, and there's actually a National Police Memorial there, which I didn't know. Um, But I was kind of drawn to that and I went over and had a look at it and they've got behind a glass window, they've got a book that has uh, the dates throughout the year uh, over one or two pages and it lists every serving officer in history that's lost their life during um, the line of duty on that particular day over the course of different years. And um, I wondered if, because that touched me a lot, and I wondered if having seen that a couple of weeks ago, that's what drew me to... Uh, to this case. I know this has been in the news very recently as well um, since then, so it could also be that, but I did wonder if I'd been drawn to it uh, because of that. Yeah, I'm sure it will have had some sort of impact on your decision-making of of covering the case, definitely. What an amazing memorial to have stood and witnessed and looked at. Yeah, it is. It really is beautiful memorial. It's had... um, I looked it. I looked it up online, and it's had a bit of controversy around it for various reasons. I'll let you guys have a look at it, but being there and seeing it on a sunny day, it was really, really humbling. Um, so, uh, so I think that that sets a nice context, really, for the, for this episode. And I know um, we say this a lot, but this really is an upsetting case, and I'm not going to do anything special with it. So, I'm not going to take you to the scene of the crime in real time. I'm not going to sensationalise any of what follows. And I've also toned down descriptions of the injuries that Andrew sustained, but they will still make for extremely difficult listening. So I'm just going to tell the story as it happened from beginning to end. So let's take you back to the very beginning. Andrew Harper was born in March in 1991 and grew up in Wallingford, an historic market town located in the south of Oxford on the River Thames. Andrew met his childhood sweetheart, a girl named Lissy Beckett, at the age of 15 while the pair were still at school together. Lissy affectionately described Andrew as a sweet, lanky, red-faced boy who would often pass notes to her in class. 
The pair soon began dating and remained childhood sweethearts until the end of Andrew's short life on the 15th of August in 2019. At the age of 18, Andrew attended the Henley College, a sixth form college in Henley-on-Thames, and it was here that he first showed ambition for joining the police. Shortly after leaving college in 2010, Andrew joined Thames Valley Police as a special constable. Now, if you're wondering what a special constable is, we did go into detail in season two uh, when we covered the murder of special constable Nisha Patel Nasri. Oh, yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah, went into quite a bit of detail about it then. But for those of you that weren't paying attention uh, or haven't listened to that particular episode yet, um, I'll elaborate once again, albeit briefly. So um, special constables are regular members of the public who volunteer to work for the special constabulary. And the Special Constabulary is a section of the statutory police forces that we have in the UK. These individuals, sometimes they are simply referred to as specials, work on a part-time basis. And I think they have pretty much the same powers as regular police constables. Um, Although, of course, the work that they're doing is probably at the lower end of the policing um, that the other forces would do. I think so. My um, other half's auntie has just become a special constable. She um, has left her job and has actually decided to go and do this um, rather, you know, on more of a official basis rather than just volunteering on a weekend, which is quite amazing. Um, so I'll have to ask her a bit more about it and then maybe give a bit, give a bit of facts from what she tells me next episode. Yeah. I find it really interesting because it's we've got this small army of volunteers in this country and I'm sure other countries have something similar but I just find it really fascinates me that these people give up their free time and put their safety on the line to protect the community that they live in and I just think what what drives somebody to to do that I think it's really interesting isn't it mm. Um, So some people go into the special constabulary as a way into the regular police force, as was the case with Andrew Harper, and others do it purely for altruistic reasons. So um, it very much is usually one of those two uh, scenarios that that you would encounter when when you see a special constable. So as I said, Andrew joined Thames Valley Police in 2010 first as a special constable and later in 2011 as a regular police constable. From this point on, life for Andrew and Lissy continued along a normal trajectory through the first monumental rungs of adulthood. They went on their first holidays together, they bought their first home together and they became engaged in Italy in May 2017. They were married in July 2019, just four weeks before Andrew's death. And in the eulogy she gave at her husband's funeral, Lissy said, We often talked about how lucky we were to have found and kept each other. True childhood sweethearts, loving one another more and more with each passing day. Not a day went past that we didn't say, I love you. Addressing her late husband directly, she went on to say, You used to tell me that we were a team and that we would get through all of life's hurdles together. How I wish you were here with me now. The hardest challenge of all is losing you. She continued, We managed to pack so many amazing memories into the last 13 years. Travelling the world, buying a house and getting married. You had a contagious love for life, 
filling each day with laughter and appreciating all the little things. And in words that echoed those of Andrew's family, friends and colleagues, Lissy went on. Andrew was described as unfailingly kind, a gentle giant with a heart of gold. She added, Andrew treasured his family above all else, a country boy who loved the outdoors, picnics, barbecues and walking. We took many trips to Cornwall and Andrew was so at peace there. Walking on the beach, Cornish pasties and fish and chips, it all made him so happy. This, in fact, was the last trip we took together after our wedding. I didn't realise at the time how precious those memories would become. He was an adventurer, food lover, board game competitor. He mispronounced words and always fell asleep during film nights. He loved nights in and lying by the fire or finding a new road to wonder and discover. And she finished by saying, I will treasure every moment we had together from skydiving, bungee jumping, mountain climbing and whitewater rafting, to walking on beaches, collecting sea glass, cheeky takeaways and lazy mornings. And I wanted to include quite a bit of that eulogy um, to really give you a sense of who Andrew was. And I think it's fair to say we often deify people in death, but from everything I've read, it really is clear that Andrew was an exceptional man. Yeah, he just sounds really lovely, doesn't he? Andrew joined the Thames Valley Road Policing Unit approximately six weeks before his death, and he was based at the Forces Abingdon Station. He was good at his job and popular with his colleagues. And this was an exciting time in Andrew's life. He was newly married and looking forward to a belated honeymoon with his stunning wife. He had everything he could possibly have wanted. But on the night of August the 15th, it all went so devastatingly wrong for Andrew and Lissy. Their beautiful love story came to an abrupt end in the cruelest way. That evening, Andrew and his colleague, PC Andrew Shaw, had been on their way back to their base in Abingdon when they received a report on their police radio of a burglary. Despite it being well past the end of their shift, they were close to the scene of the crime and they thought they could help. Consequently, they responded to the call and headed towards a secluded property in Cox Lane near the village of Bradfield South End in West Berkshire but it was a decision that was to cost Andrew Harper his life. PCs Harper and Shaw raced towards the village at around 11.15pm that night. The homeowner who had reported the burglary informed the operator that a number of men had just made off with his new quad bike. This information was relayed back to Andrew and his fellow officer whilst en route to the address. As PCs Harper and Shaw approached the property down a single track country lane, they came across a Sayat car coming the other way which was clearly towing a quad bike. And it was evident that this was the stolen quad bike. The gang responsible, who were members of West Berkshire's traveller community, were just teenagers but they'd armed themselves with makeshift weapons before setting out on what for them was just a normal evening of stealing. Henry Long, who was 19, was driving the Sayat. Albert Bowers, who was just 17 at the time, was in the front passenger seat. And Jesse Cole, also just 17, was sat astride the quad bike, steering it as it was being towed behind the car. Christ, that's no age. 17 and 19. 
Yeah, and the, the two youngest, so Bowers and Cole, couldn't actually be named at the time for legal reasons because they were mm. under the age of 18. So subsequently throughout the trial, they, they turned 18 and could then be named. As the two vehicles met bumper to bumper, Andrew leapt from his car and made towards Cole, the guy who had been sat astride the quad bike. Upon seeing Andrew, Cole removed the tow rope from the quad bike's handlebars and dived into the Seat through an open window. And I just, I wanted to make it clear at this point, the reason Cole removed that tow rope was to essentially make the getaway more manageable. So what they were basically doing now was abandoning that quad bike, um, freeing it from the car so that they could make good with their escape. Because if they've got a quad bike that nobody sat on top of steering as they're then driving through country lanes in the pitch darkness, possibly being chased by the police, there was just no way that they would have been able to to potentially outrun the police. So after Cole removed the tow rope, which has subsequently been referred to as a crane strap, that might mean something to some people, um, he discarded it on the ground, but it was still attached to the car, now essentially just a rope. In the chaos of Andrew attempting to apprehend Cole, this all happened in a matter of seconds, he had not realised that he had stepped with both feet into a loop made on the surface of the road by the trailing crane strap. As Henry Long, the gang's driver, floored the car to make good their escape, Andrew was lassoed around his ankles by the loop of the strap. He was pulled off his feet and dragged along behind the speeding getaway car. As the car hurtled along the narrow country lane, Andrew was dragged along the ground for more than a mile, his flesh being stripped from his body as he went. It is absolutely horrific. What a horrendous death. There's just, yeah, you can't, there are no words to describe the end of, of his life. As Long drove at speeds in excess of 40 miles per hour, he was said by a passing motorist to have deliberately swerved his car forcing this passing motorist to quickly manoeuvre out of the way. As the gang's car accelerated in front of him, this passing motorist could see what he thought was a blooded deer attached to the car, but he quickly realised it was a person trapped by both ankles being dragged around the road and striking the curb. What I will say at this point is that medical experts have said that it is highly likely that Andrew was rendered unconscious as soon as the car sped off and he hit the ground. So he wouldn't necessarily have been aware of what was happening to him, which is an absolute blessed relief. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. Mm. At the point at which Andrew's ankles were lassoed by the crane strap, his colleague PC Shaw had been on a single track lane facing the wrong direction to give chase. He hadn't seen what had happened to Andrew, but equally he couldn't see him, so he drove to the junction of Webb's Lane in order to turn around. After doing this, he drove back up the road past the site where the incident had happened, and then he continued onwards. Very quickly, he came across Andrew's stab vest, discarded and lying in the road. Now, it's not overly clear what happened over the following couple of minutes. I'm assuming that PC Shaw had radioed for backup very quickly because that had actually arrived very quickly and it was actually another police unit that found Andrew about a mile further up the road. His ankles had finally become disentangled from the strap and he was left lying in the road. 
When he was attended to by his colleagues, including PC Shaw, who managed to catch up, he was completely naked, apart from his socks, the heavy boots he was wearing, and some ripped shreds of the lower right trouser leg of his police uniform. So, basically, the force of being dragged behind the car for over a mile had stripped him of all of his clothes and left him essentially naked, which is just such an undignified end. And you can, you then start to kind of realise just how fast it must have been travelling as well to drag him at those speeds to do that as well. Andrew, incredibly, was still alive when he was found. Jeez. Yeah, but it became very clear, very quickly, that he had suffered catastrophic injuries. He died soon after, where he lay in Ufton Lane, in the company of fellow officers. His short life having come to a devastating end at just 28. Following the events of that day, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he was totally shocked by Andrew's death and the Home Secretary Priti Patel said her thoughts were with his loved ones and she said the service PC Harper had given will not be forgotten. His uncle Dale Shrimpton wrote on Facebook, He's my oldest nephew, my sister's firstborn, mum and dad's first grandson and he was married two weeks ago at a dream wedding. We are devastated. He was the loveliest person that you will ever meet. I can't begin to tell you how we feel. And Andrew's grandmother Maureen Shrimpton added in her own tribute, Our grandson Andrew was killed last night while doing his police work. So proud of him. Our love goes to his lovely wife, mum and dad, brother and all of his family and friends. Bless and those are such beautiful tributes for what must be such a heartbreaking time. Yeah, so heartfelt. In the early hours of the 16th of August, just a few hours after Andrew's death, Thames Valley Police said they had arrested 10 boys and men aged between 13 and 30 on suspicion of murder. As would subsequently come to light, officers had actually descended on an area known as Four Houses Corner a council-run traveller's site about three miles from the scene of Andrew's death, just minutes after his killing. A source told a reporter from the Telegraph at the time, everyone was ordered out of the caravans, including the women and children. The police were familiar with the traveller's site and had used thermal imaging cameras to trace any suspicious movements in the area in the immediate aftermath of Andrew's death. They could see activity at the site and swooped in, arresting every man and boy in residence on suspicion of murder. On on that positive note that they apprehended suspects within a few hours of Andrew's death, I think that's perhaps a better time for us to pause here and, and take a break. Yeah, I think so. Take a little break from it and then, yeah, let's um hear from our first sponsor of today's show. So, I mean, it's great to at least know that the police were able to track down and take people in for questioning really quickly after he was killed. Yeah, that is, as I said before we went for the break, that is the one thing mm. um, that that is good here. Yeah, there's nothing this, really good. Also, no, of course there's not, no. I don't really mean it like that, but it, it's, it's one of the positives because you don't always see that. It could have been a different story. Absolutely. As morning broke, a long trail of blood could be seen on the country lane where Andrew's short life had come to an end. Forensics officers marked out the trail, while others examined a grey BMW at the scene. 
The caravan site was now deserted and forensic officers were seen examining a blue car there. Locals said that the site had been the source of frequent clashes with the police over the years. Many of its residents had lived there for nearly 50 years, but there had been trouble and a lot of it in recent times. Police questioned their suspects over the following 72 hours and were granted a 24-hour extension, after which time all suspects were released without charge. In mid-September, however, three of the men were re-arrested. The men we met earlier. Henry Long, the driver of the car. Albert Bowers, the front seat passenger. And Jesse Cole, the man who had been sat atop the quad bike as it was being towed. The police had got their men. They now had to build a case to prove they were responsible for murder. All three men were remanded in custody and a week or so later, prosecutors gave Thames Valley Police the green light to charge all three of them with murder and conspiracy to steal a quad bike. A month later, on the 14th of October, Andrew Harper's funeral took place. His widow, Lissy, and his brother, Sean, were among 800 mourners who attended a private funeral at Christchurch Cathedral in Oxford. The service was preceded by a procession through the city led by mounted officers of Thames Valley Police, and it was watched by members of the public gathered outside the church. As the service began, Andrew's coffin was placed in the centre of the large cathedral, covered in a navy blue flag with the police crest present on both sides. Members of his family laid symbols of his life in front of a large photo of him as part of the service, and these included a Mr Men mug, a box of eggs and a jar of Nutella. Things like that just make it even more sad somehow, and I don't know what it is I, about funerals. I found but, ex- yeah, yeah, I found exactly the same. I think because they're such personal items to Andrew, and things that others wouldn't necessarily have known about. Um, so yeah, it, it felt a bit awkward for me including it. And this is all everything I've included is um, has been reported, and like I say, I've toned down a lot of it, but. Um, I, I felt like I was intruding. Um, I don't talking know. About that. See, I quite, I quite like that you've mentioned that because it it reminds me, as a listener to your telling of the story, that this isn't just a story. This is a real person and a real person's life. So I, I'm quite glad that you have included it because I don't know what any of the reasons behind those items are, and yet it makes me feel kind of like, oh, well, that was something that was an in-joke or a a fond memory for his family. I I quite enjoy that you've put that in, actually. At an initial pre-trial hearing in January of this year, Henry Long pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of Andrew, but denied murder. He admitted to stealing the quad bike, but his co-defendants, Albert Bowers and Jesse Cole, entered not guilty pleas to Andrew's manslaughter, and they also denied stealing the quad bike. Which beggars belief. Yeah, I just don't know how their defence team have managed to encourage them to give those as their pleas. But they must have had their reasons. They've taken the advice and they've pleaded as yeah, such. Yeah, I, I don't understand how, but fine. No. That's their decision to make. The trial of these three men began at the Old Bailey on the 9th of March and all three defendants were charged with murder. The teenagers admitted plotting the theft but they denied knowing that Andrew had become entangled in the tow rope and that he was attached to their vehicle as they drove down that country lane. 
Their defence claimed the incident was a freak event, that none of them could have planned or foreseen. But the prosecution said at more than six foot and weighing 14 stone, the defendants must have been aware Andrew was being dragged to his death. And I think this is the part of the case that I'm unsure whether I had remembered wrong or remembered right, etc. Kind of that I was mentioning at the beginning, because I was under the impression that they had purposefully dragged him and I was. I had remembered it potentially wrong. So yeah, how if they're saying it was an accident and this was a freak event to happen, how the hell would you not feel that he was being dragged behind your car? Yeah. I think there's no there's no doubt that this wasn't premeditated. We know it wasn't premeditated. Um, it wasn't an, an awful accident. But I think the the question here is: Was it manslaughter or was it murder? Did they know that PC Harper was being dragged by their car, and therefore they could have stopped and prevented his death, or did they realise that they were dragging him and they drove in a fashion that was designed to shake him off? Um, thus causing further injuries and ultimately his death, which would have been premeditated. So I think that's what a lot of it rests on. Okay, so the actual tying of the rope around the ankles, we know, do we now know for a fact that that was an accident, not that this guy on the back, so what was his name, Jesse, that he didn't purposefully tie this rope? We we, we know that that wasn't okay. done deliberately. Because that was my assumption. I'd always believed that he had tied him. Yeah. And we'll come on to it in a bit more detail as as we talk about the trial, but mm-hmm. um, I'll cover off some of that as well. Opening the case against the defendants, Brian Altman QC said, This was a completely senseless killing of a young police officer in the line of duty. He went on, Andrew died totally naked apart from his socks and boots and some shredded remnants of the trousers he was wearing. Taking the jury back to the day in question, he said, Earlier that day, a homeowner had spotted a group of masked men in a car on the edge of his driveway, looking in the direction of his £10,000 Honda quad bike. At around 11.15pm that night, the same homeowner was woken by headlights shining through the window of his home when he saw a group of men carrying weapons and making off with that quad bike. The court heard how, after responding to the 999 call, the officers approached the scene in their unmarked BMW and came nose to nose with the gang's Sayak car, which was being driven by Long, the eldest of the three defendants. Mr Altman explained to the jury that the defendant on the quad bike had quickly gotten off and removed the tow rope from the handlebars in order to allow the gang to make their escape. At that point, Andrew got out of the police car and began to give chase on foot in an attempt to catch the defendant who was desperately trying to get into the fleeing getaway car. Mr Altman told the jury, in his rush to ensure that he and his friends did not get caught, the defendant who had unhitched the crane strap from the quad bike had been unable to replace the crane strap in the car boot. Constable Harper, who was but a few feet from the defendant, had simply not seen or realised, why should he, that in that moment he had stepped, with both feet it appears, into the loop made on the road surface by the trailing crane strap. As Long floored the Sayak car to make good their escape, Constable Harper was lassoed around his ankles by the loop of the strap. 
It is the prosecution case that Long drove that car knowing full well Constable Harper was entangled in the strap and he drove it in a manner calculated to dislodge him and to make good their escape as had been their plan all along. So that's the prosecution saying that. So that gives a bit more context there that this wasn't necessarily done deliberately to begin with but they are stating that the defendants were aware that it had happened and that they could have stopped. Because why would you drive like that if you were just fleeing? You'd just drive in a straight line, wouldn't you? Of course you would, yeah. Okay, wow. Mr Altman went on. A snaking trail of apparent tyre marks, abrasion and scuff marks, blood and body matter left behind on the road surface, as well as personal items and clothing that were ripped from Constable Harper as he was dragged to his death, illustrates the attempt to dislodge him from the strap, which each of you knew full well. And that is really important because, as I said, and as we've just sort of talked about, a witness did come forward saying the car had swerved towards him and he managed to narrowly avoid it by manoeuvring out of the way. But I think it did look like Long, the car's driver, was jerking the car in order to dislodge Andrew. Mr Altman for the prosecution said eventually the officer's ankles had become disentangled from the strap and he was left dying in the road. On the second day of the trial, he told the jury how another witness had spotted Andrew's body being pulled along by the getaway car. Describing what this witness had reported seeing, I touched on this earlier, he said, he thought the rope was wrapped a couple of times around both feet of the body, which was being dragged along by the vehicle. He did not recall seeing any shoes on the body, but thought they were dark coloured trousers. Due to the rope being attached at the feet, the legs of the body were in the air and the body made a connection with the road at about the level of his bottom and the back of the body was on the road. He thought it was a blooded deer attached to the car, but he quickly realised it was someone trapped by both ankles with arms flailing around as he described it, like a rag doll being dragged around the road. He saw the whole body striking the curb on the other side of the road. Mr Altman said Andrew was still breathing when his colleagues found him and they did all they could to save him. He went on, it became apparent that his injuries simply were not consistent with life. At 11.45pm, a paramedic who arrived at the scene declared PC Harper's life extinct. The trial was temporarily suspended on the 17th and 18th of March as a member of the jury was unwell. The trial, which was being held during the COVID-19 pandemic, resumed on the 19th of March after two of the jurors now were discharged because they were self-isolating. On the 23rd of March, along with all other jury trials in England and Wales, the trial was suspended pending a review of operations amid the threat of COVID-19. Hours later, Mr Justice Ells announced with a heavy heart that he was adjourning the trial and he discharged the remaining nine members of the jury after a total of three jurors had now gone into self-isolation. He said, I have taken the decision with a heavy heart because I am acutely conscious of the need of those who loved PC Constable Harper, who would have been 29 yesterday, for this process to come to a conclusion. And it's so... Weird, isn't it, to think of everything going on with COVID and coronavirus and the, the lockdown and how much it affected things like court cases and trials. And um, yeah, really interesting now we appear to be coming out of the other side of lockdown at the moment to kind of have that reminder of what things were like at the beginning with the uncertainty. Really interesting. 
So before we then talk about the next part of the case, shall we have a word from our second sponsor of the show? (laughs) That's a private joke. (laughs) As if you don't know how to spell red, I will spell it out for you. Beer52.com forward slash R-E-D. Okay, so we'll we'll get back to the case now. We'll we'll get back to the the retrial, the new trial that began in June with social distancing in place and security further stepped up owing to accusations of jewellery tampering. Now, a new jury was sworn in and jurors were referred to by number rather than their name when they were sworn in and the public gallery was actually closed and a temporary side room had been set up to allow members of the public to watch proceedings via video link. We'll come on to some of that in a, in a bit more detail a bit later on. Giving evidence, Henry Long, the car's driver, said he felt disgraceful and would have tried to save Andrew if he'd known the officer was there. He told the jury he could not sleep and thought about Andrew's family and how they feel. On the 20th of July, a juror was discharged after a prison officer reported that she had mouthed by boys to the defendants in the courtroom. And this wasn't a sarcastic by boys as in by you're going to prison. It was a sexy, flirty by boys, which I've probably not done justice. What the... What what Honestly, the hell is wrong with what her? The fuck? So what? um this juror oh had apparently been flirting with all three of the defendants in the open courtroom throughout this retrial, smiling at them, trying to get their attention. Yeah, it just beggars belief, doesn't it? So on the twenty first of July, the now eleven person jury retired to deliberate, and on the twenty fourth of July, the three defendants were cleared of murder but found guilty of manslaughter. Lissy, Andrew's widow, later released an open letter in which she implored Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Home Secretary Priti Patel to allow a retrial seeking a murder verdict. On the 31st of July, Long was sentenced to 16 years in prison and both Bowers and Cole received 13 years. Speaking outside court, Lissy could not conceal her disgust at the verdict. She said, I am, for the second time in the space of one year, utterly shocked and appalled. The decisions made in these courts by strangers will never change the outcome that had already come to us. So I'm assuming then, potentially from her kind of wanting them to allow a retrial and the fact that you said before that there was some um, higher security and and ways that the trial was kind of amended because of the potential of jury tampering is there the suspicion then that some of the jury were kind of intimidated to give a lesser verdict yeah, than there, the murder charge? Yeah there was charge? definitely talk that, that the jury had been got at or threatened by associates of the three defendants and at one point um, I think this was in the first trial um, before it got halted due to COVID-19. Um, but one of the associates of one of the three defendants was in the public gallery and he was pointing jur- at jurors, pointing them out. And actually, around that time, the jury visited the scene of the crime and that visit was shrouded in the tightest security possible. And the police even sent a drone up into the sky to watch over proceedings as prosecutors were so concerned for their safety and also their integrity. So they definitely had concerns. And you do wonder if that's why the jury didn't find the defendants guilty of murder. The police did investigate and they said actually that there's no basis for that. But it does leave a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? 
It really does. However, the only thing I, I would kind of say is just because you are behaving in a threatening manner doesn't necessarily mean it was murder. However, it doesn't particularly paint you in a great light, does it? No. If you've got your friends looking threatening. Yeah. So what led to these three teenagers ending up in prison before any of them had really had the chance to enter adulthood? Well, Long, the driver of the car, was, at the tender age of 18, already a career criminal with four convictions that included battery and shoplifting. Unable to read or write and taken out of school at the age of 12 by his father after he'd gotten into trouble with teachers, he was the gang's ringleader. The three men lived in social housing but they all had links to West Berkshire's traveller community and in particular the Four Houses Corner Travellers site which we mentioned earlier which the police raided in the early hours of the morning following Andrew's death. This gang specialised in stealing quad bikes and farm machinery. Long carried with him tools for breaking into sheds and breaking open metal chains and padlocks. On the day of Andrew's death, Long and the others had spent the day scouting out the local area for vehicles to steal. They disguised his Sayat car by disabling the rear lights, covering the number plates with tape and removing any logos. Bowers, a friend of Long since childhood, had an interest in blood sport and photographs from his Facebook account show dead hares killed by his dog. He had convictions for sexual assault, battery and a racially aggravated public order offence, but he never got as far as secondary school. At one stage in the trial he even fell asleep and it was actually when the prosecution was showing footage of Harper being dragged to his death. So, Jeez, what yeah. the hell? Even when all eyes were on him and his liberty was at stake he couldn't just pretend. That's ridiculous. Cole, unlike the other two, had no previous convictions but like them he'd left school unable to read and write. He attended a college for boys with learning difficulties and by the time he dropped out he could barely spell his own name. Now, just two months ago, Lissy described her endless sprawling dark in an emotional message posted on social media to mark what would have been her and Andrew's first wedding anniversary. She said, I will never again know love like that. And in a reference to their wedding day, she said, Twelve months since I walked down an aisle of incandescent light. It feels only yesterday that I stood in front of a vision of hope and happiness and love. And she wrote of the tears in your eyes that only I could see, and the sheer happiness radiating from mine. No one will ever know a love like ours, a most perfect day that will swim in my mind forever. Of their anniversary, she said, This day should have been wildly different. Instead of celebrating with you on our first anniversary, I am alone in utter disbelief. How surreal it is that these days, one year apart, are at complete parallels, like a different world entirely. One of dazzling light and the other of endless sprawling dark. What I wouldn't give to be back on that beautiful sunny day, dressed in white with your hand in mine, and a lifetime of happiness swirling around our minds. And she finished by saying, I will spend the rest of my days never understanding the meaning of this cruelty, how the bad are allowed to live, and the simply perfect souls are taken from this place of wondrous beauty. 
My heart belongs to you and my mind will forever remain the memory box that holds your smile, your laugh and every sweet second we had together. I will love you eternally, my husband. Wow, I mean, that is moving and a bit jesus yeah. i mean it's it's taken it out of me and i have nothing to do with this um emotionally it's just it leaves you in an awful state and i just mm. cannot begin to imagine how lissy feels how she gets through the day and how andrew's wider family friends colleagues um that were there as well at the time that witness this how they how they can carry on but they do of course and they continue to serve the community that they live in his colleagues but i mean how do you ever get on with your life when something like this happens yeah i think because you mentioned before about um the work they've kind of done to um look for supporting other people in this situation and also for some of the work that they're doing to change sentencing and it kind of reminds me of Gary Newlove's um widow who yeah. then went on to really campaign and I just think how incredible if you are able to take something so tragic and then actually be- do something and become a force for good yeah and hopefully evoke positive change yeah I mean which what is an amazing, absolutely what they're trying yeah and what an amazing tribute to end the episode on for someone like him something as incredibly moving as she's written and something so amazingly articulate to put into words those emotions and those feelings yeah so i i know it's a really difficult case this week and it's not going to be much easier next week because bethan's got something that a lot of you have been in touch with asking for um so i'll let bethan tell you what it's going to be yeah so quite a few of you have got in touch so i'll be taking you through the events of the hungerford massacre next week not a lot more we can say, really, um, no. about that. Do please check out our sponsors. Um, it's always very difficult, including sponsors in 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 the show. But we only ever work with uh, partners that we absolutely are advocates for um, personally. So um, that's why why we have the sponsors that we have. Um, so yeah, please do check them out. So it's noom dot com slash red and beer fifty two dot com slash red. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us and for listening to this episode. And thank you, Mark, for sharing his story with us. No worries. We will um, will see you next week. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.